Well, I'm now out in a field of beet tops with Sister Kathleen and a whole lot of cows. How many cows are there, Sister? 43. 43. And is 43 the herd or have you a lot more oh, cows? No, we have 23 are dried off already. We have about 66. I suspect you have quite a good herd and that you have quite good yields. And they're spring calving cows. Oh, spring calving, yes. The average yield is about 1,100 gallons. You're rotationally grazing them, obviously. Well, we strip graze them. And we put out fertiliser quite late now this year, up to the beginning of October. Mm. So we're hoping to, you know, put the extended grazing into practice. How many acres are in the place altogether? About 200 acres. It's a, it's a fine farm. It is, yes. Of course, there are a lot of people uh, living out of it. That's right. Even is. if they're only living up to a Cistercian standard, which isn't exact luxury. That's right. It's That's what people forget. Like, it's supporting not just a family, but a community of 50 people. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to try and describe uh, where we are. We're in the Blackwater Valley, and it's a lovely valley, of course. It's higher on the far side of the river than on this side, and we're looking down at the river, then back towards the monastery, and then back beyond the monastery, the hills again. And wooded hills, well-farmed land, but little coppices of woodland as well. And then along some parts of it, I presume, on less fertile parts, uh, forestry, some coniferous forest. Uh, one herd of cows over there, your herd of cows here, another herd of cows away in the distance there, upriver, and then downriver, a field of sheep, I'd say maybe 100, 120, or maybe more sheep. A very pleasant farming scene. Oh, yes, it's a lovely city. And of course you're a farmer, you're a Cistercian, but you're a farmer as well. But then Cistercians have always been farmers. That's right, yes. Well, obviously uh, those lasses are ready to have their fence changed, but I suppose you'll hardly do that before the milking. Oh no, they'll be going in for milking now soon. And then I'll change it when they're gone in for the morning. Because they come out here at six o'clock in the morning. They get milked at kind of uh, early, it's a Cistercian time. That's right, they're Cistercians like ourselves. <laughs> We're after the midday meal now and we're out in the field. I see a nun walking along uh, by the river there. Most of the nuns are back in the convent. This is relaxing time, I think, isn't it? Mm, this is what we call siesta time. Most, uh, as we get up at four, most people are ready for a rest by now. So there's an hour's free time now. And that's for you to go out and walk your farm and for that nun over there to um, walk along the river with her thoughts. And her dog. <laughs> I see. Of course, these cows are on something of a Cistercian schedule. Well, when we rise at four, we have office at 20 past four, and that concludes at five. So then at 5 a.m., it's time for the cows to rise. That's the morning milking. Mm. Then the afternoon milking is at 3 p.m., as we have vespers at 6 p.m. And how do you find cows at four o'clock in the morning at this time of the year? Oh, they get used to it. They're already in waiting, for the most part. But you're actually coming out in pitch black to get them in. Oh, it's pitch dark, but we have good lamps. Mm. And they, when they're into the routine, they know the time. Do you think it's tougher to be a Cistercian cow than it is to be an ordinary farmer's cow? Not the way they're looked after here. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed you walked around the cows there. Uh, did you do that for a particular reason? Oh, I did. I wouldn't like to walk between them when they're lying down. I don't like disturbing them. Do you ever remember, and I was at school with the Cistercians in Ross Grey, and I certainly remember them using the signed language. That was when there really was 
a profound silence all the time. Does the sign language exist at all now? Very little. Uh, I'm here now 20 years and when I came I learned a few signs but I, I've forgotten them all now. There is silence though still oh, yes, at certain yes. times. Yeah. We keep the great, what, was call, what is called the great silence from quarter past eight at night. That's when we go to bed until after mass in the morning. So when we're out milking in the early morning we just only say whatever is necessary and keep it as quiet as possible. Right, sister, we're just uh, outside the church door now and it's 25 to 3 and you have to be in the choir at a quarter to 3 and if you go in the way you are now in your rubber boots and you're not too clean nylon coat and your anorak that has seen better days, I think you'll be put out again. So I'll let you off now and I'll see you later. Friends, thank you very much. Nice talking to you. Now into the garden to talk to Sister Kevin. That's a, a proper monastic garden gate, Sister. It certainly is. And it has the Gothic shape to it. It has the pointed arch. Oh, it has, yeah. It's a lovely gate. Well, this is a very serious garden now with the, very much the accent on crops and food. Oh, and I'm going yeah. to take a bit of a walk around oh, with sure. you. Oh, sure, yeah. So you're the, you're the head around here. Yes, and I bring in the vegetables when we have them. Right. And we try to have vegetables all year round, if we can. Looking at a wall there now, there's a beautiful espalier there, and I'm not lucky enough to be here when it's in leaf. But certainly a lot of work has gone into training that gracefully in a curve up along a high wall. What is it at all? That's a pear tree. And Sister Roberta had the charge of the plum trees and the pear trees. You would produce most of what the community would eat in fruit and vegetables in the yeah. garden here. We try to do that as far as possible and uh, near five or six days of the week and seven days of the week we would have a different vegetable every day. We have a plastic tunnel here beside us now and I think I can just see the lettuce uh, there under it. Let's, let's go in and have a look. <coughs> Oh, this is a nice place. It's nice and warm because that's a cold, windy day and a grand smell of onions and your onions drying very nicely there and some lettuce doing very nicely as well. Yes, we got a present of uh, the frame for, the, uh, for this tunnel and then we bought the polythene for it and we had tomatoes in it and we had early carrots and we had early lettuce and this is more lettuce here and these are onions that are drying out. And you have your parsley ready for spring? We have. You have and some more lettuces that we're going to get out in cold frames later on. Did you yeah. grow up on a farm or did you grow up where serious gardening was done? Well, my father, the Lord Bersham, had a farm and he also had a shop. But I never was interested I, in 
in either the shop or the farm. Well, if you became a Cistercian, you had to become a bit of a farmer because that's very much in the order's tradition. Oh, it is. Well, as a postulant, I started out here in the garden and uh, I was here, come out with others. And after that, I was at the poultry. Then I was back in the garden. So it seems I'm going to be here in the garden <laughs> until I move into the cemetery. <laughs> So when did you enter? 1939. So you've been gardening for <laughs> more than 50 years? Well, I should know a lot about it now by this time. Right, out again into the cold now and we'll close up that house. I, I want to go across to the glass house now, sister, and see what have you got in there. Yes, yes. See, we had vegetable marrows and the cucumbers. We started them in there, but now... We transplanted the vegetable marrows and I'll show them to you, the fruit of our neighbours. Uh, we have them in another house. Right, but in the, in the glass house here you have what? We have the grapes, the vines. And do you sell them at all? Oh no, we never sell them, no. We say we're a big community and a bunch for each. They go very quickly. Tell me something, sister, do you ever make a drop of wine on the quiet? Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't anyway, no, no. <laughs> And what else do you have in this house? Then we start all our little seeds, like vegetable marrows and cucumbers and uh, runner beans. You have Brussels sprouts? Oh, we have, yes. And when do you use those particularly? Oh, we start off with, we're delighted to have those about the month of October or earlier because our peas are finished then and peas are our Sunday dinner. So when the peas are finished, we start off with the cauliflower, with the Brussels sprouts, or if we have cauliflowers. And that keeps us going on then until well after Christmas. And for Christmas Day, what vegetable do you have? We have peas. You're a lesson in self-sufficiency. Well, we try to do the best we can, but the other sisters have a great help too. I wouldn't be able to do it myself, you see. So the other sisters come out and help whenever they can. A vegetable store, an awful lot of things in here, yes. sister. Let's start where we come in. Trays and trays of onions. And these are the vegetable marrows that I told you about. We started in the vine house. Uh, this is the fruit. But we have had several dinners of them already. And they've been very good crop. Fine vegetable marrows. Yes. There must be 50 or 60 well, of them I, in it. I, when I brought them in first, they were nearly 90. And what exactly do you do with them? Uh, we, uh, we stuff them, the, the cook, Sister Finola, who is our cook, she stuffs them. You cut them in rings, you see, and uh, fill it up with stuffing, and it's beautiful altogether. Or else she just use, cuts them up and puts onions and other things with them, and it's a lovely savoury dish. Of course, you're vegetarians. We are, yes, yeah. yeah. A, a tray of peas there. Yeah, these are all peas, uh, dried peas that we're shelling. When we get a wet afternoon or a wet day morning, we come in here to shell all those. It was uphill work all the time trying to save things, but we've done very well. We're very grateful. And we had a very nice harvest Thanksgiving Mass with procession of gifts. And that was our way of thanking the Lord. But even when I'm gathering the vegetables outside, I keep thanking the Lord all the time because he's been so very good to us. Uh, And what's in here, Sister? Oh, Sister Lily has an office in there and she started making lovely flower cards. Would you like to see the cards? I would very oh, much. She has beautiful cards, thank you cards, and she does wedding cards, sympathy cards, and now she has some lovely cards for Christmas. 
Sister Lily, I've come across you making cards, I think. That's right, yeah. A special, a special type of card. They're pressed flower cards, you know. And I do them for all occasions. And that all arose out of demand, you know, people asking me for different cards for different occasions. Like, for instance, uh, I just started off with small general greeting cards and then somebody asked me to do an, a wedding invitation. So from that, it has grown to all sorts of cards, cards for all occasions, you know. And are these your own uh, flowers that you grow and dry? Yeah, all these flowers are grown around Glencairn and some of them cultivate it in the garden. Some of them grow wild and um, I gather them when they're in season and press them. Well, tell me about the various flowers that you do use. I can see pansies there. Yeah, there's pansies and um, harvest leek, I call it. I don't know what its um, botanical name is, but uh, then there's honesty and there's buttercups and daisies and various grasses and heather, which doesn't grow here but comes from Mallory. It sounds to me as if uh, it's quite a good enterprise from the point of view of earning something for the foundation. Oh yeah, it would be a, a an eco, you know it would be a profitable business. You know, it's it's an interesting hobby. You know, this you I, I suspect it's a hobby that makes a few bob for the nuns. It does that, yeah. <laughs> but it's also has a different. It has more than money making business for me uh, personally. It was through coming to see how press flowers were done. I came to join the community here in Glencairn. And I met one of the sisters up in the west of Ireland at Kylemore Abbey. And I was a youth worker then. And I was interested in trying to get young people interested in nature, to preserve nature. And I happened to meet this Sister Agnes. And uh, I was telling her about this idea I had. So she invited me to come along and see, for she actually did it in the house, you know, in a very small way. So that was, I came and saw and stayed. <laughs> so uh, the Lord has strange ways of working. Sister Charlotte talking to you here in the milking pit. Uh, you give me the impression that you're a woman who's not too new to this job. No, I've been working here for quite a while now. I'm nearly 10 years. And did you grow up with cows? No, I didn't. I grew up in the country, but I never had to work with cows or milk them or anything else. And how do you like working with cows? I love them. <laughs> Sister Anne, you give me the impression uh, of a lady who's been at this for quite a while and knows what she's at. Not at it that long at all, no. Only about two years. Were you reared in the country? No, I was born and bred on a main street. <laughs> no country living at all. And where was that? Uh, in Longford. Are you the nun who goes out for the cows at uh, five o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter? Well, in the middle of the winter is not so bad. It's only up to the kennels. Yeah. But uh, during the summer, all right, we'd have to go about five o'clock for them. Um, but you have cows out uh, into November and well into December, and you have to go and get them at that time of the morning, don't you? We do, yeah, yeah. But it's not them really that far away. The furthest now would be about 10 or 15 minutes away. Nobody to disturb us at 5 o'clock in the morning going for them. Where did you come from, sister? I come from the north of Ireland, County Antrim. You travelled a long way. You're very far from home down here. Oh, it's not far these days. <laughs> sure you get home again in about six to eight hours. 
How often can you get home nowadays? One time you couldn't get home at all, of course. Well, we don't go home unless there's something urgent in, in the family. But normally we wouldn't go home. And can the folks come down and see you? Oh, yes. So they can come to see us any time. My sisters were down during the summer and stayed for a week. Uh, have you any sisters milking cows? No, I've no sisters milking cows. I don't think any of them would go near the cows. <laughs> How do you like the cows? I love the cows, <laughs> but um, I have never got a chance of working with them until I came here. I always loved cows. Sister Kathleen, you have two milkers in there, Sister Charlotte and Sister Anne. They're doing a good job. I think they'd got a job anywhere. There's plenty of work here for them. <laughs> You're telling me, Sister, that your cows all have names? Yes. Every cow gets its name as soon as it calves and comes into the herd. It gets a name. Well, tell me something. Do you call them after the saints or do you call them after other nuns or do you, do you call them after neighbours or friends? We call them after all sorts. It's generally just a favourite name we have, whether it's a friend or just a name that we like. What's that cow's name there now? It's called Benedicta. That's a very Cistercian-sounding cow. It is because we got her from one of our Benedictine abbeys. <laughs> so we called her Benedicta. Give me a few more names that your cows have. We call the, the one there in front Hillary, and uh, she, was a, she was one that um, we have one of the monks called Hillary over in England. So have most of the names got a, a slightly religious tone to them, or uh, do you go purely secular with some of them? We're not really bent on the religious tone. There's usually some other meaning they have for us when we give the name, either where the cow comes from or, the, or some person that we know that's linked with it. We have the other little one across there called Callista, and she's called after a sister I know. That's a, a, a very dignified name for a cow, I have to say. Well, she's a rather special little cow. She's a dainty little cow, and she's a thin little cow, and she's our favourite. Sister, you'd get a job milking anywhere, and you'd be paid a good deal more than you're getting here, I suspect. <laughs> ah, yes, but there's a lot more to it than the money. <laughs> Sister Eleanor uh, cleaning up after the milking. That's right, Joe. Same cleaning here as every other farm. <laughs> you weren't doing this kind of thing before you came in here, I think. Indeed I wasn't. I didn't know anything about farming before I came here. I was brought up in a town and then I went to work in the city. I worked in a bank for a few years before I came here. A huge change in the sort of work you're doing here today from the sort of work you would have been doing before you came in here? Very different, very different entirely. Much more physical work here. But a much more balanced lifestyle, I think. Very healthy balance between all the elements of the day, of manual work, of prayer, of study. I get an impression from you, and I get it from all the other sisters, I'd have to call it infectious contentment. <laughs> a lot of people say that, people who come here. And I think it's to do with the balance in our life. And the fact that we're taking things at a slightly less ferocious pace than the rest of the world. Now I'm talking to Sister Gertrude. And Sister Gertrude, you're the librarian, but I gather they don't call you Sister Gertrude at all. Uh, they usually call me Gertie. <laughs> all right, well, I, I don't think I'll call you that. Um, you're also the sort of house historian. Yes, I'm very interested in the history of the house. So I've sort of kept track of it through the years and looked up things about it. Well, it goes back a long way before your time. 
Well, quite a bit, all right, yes. The first house built here was a castle. It was called Barrigaran then, and it was built around 1619. It was sacked a short while afterwards, but then in the 1675, the first Richard Gumbleton bought the property and he called, rebuilt the castle and called it Castle Richard. When the second Richard Gumbleton rebuilt it in 1746, he also built a terrace overlooking the river and underground passages. They stretch right along the north side of the house there underground. And there are also a good colony of bats down there now, supposed to be rare bats. Uh, bats are not something that women are supposed to be particularly <laughs> fond of. Does being I'm a cistercian uh, eliminate the fear? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have, we've been told we have two colonies of rare, two different kinds of bat, two colonies of rare bats here by an expert who came in some time ago. And one of the colonies is down there in the underground passage. How do you feel about bats? Uh, well, the further they keep away, the better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You also had a ghost. Yes. Well, that was in the early, just 1800s. For about 30 years, there were footsteps going up and down stairs and doors opening and the sound of weeping. The owner of the house in the 1830s was a Colonel Jervis Parker Bush. He was a military man and uh, a tough person. And he found that his servants wouldn't stay in the house. They were sleeping in the outhouse and then they all left and he got a new lot of servants in and after a little while the same thing happened again. So he decided to sleep in the house himself with a friend of his and the friend was also a military man. But they heard the noise, the weeping and the feet going up and down and the door into the attic shutting, but they saw nobody. Then one night uh, when he was in his room... The door opened and a young girl came in. She was dressed in white and she had a big dark patch on her breast and she was weeping away. And when he got up to follow her, she went out of the room and he heard the steps going up the stairs and into the attic and the door shutting. So the next day he went up and searched the attic. It was full of junk, old riding clothes and riding gear and um, books and trunks and everything. But he went through the whole lot and finally found a little wooden casket And when he opened it, there was a metal casket inside with a parchment saying that it contained the embalmed heart of a former daughter of the house who had died in Italy. And when he investigated, the poor girl had gone to Italy. Her health had been very bad. She wanted to come home, but she died over there. And before she died, she made them promise that they would bury her heart in Glencairn. Well, now Napoleon was rampaging through Europe at the time, and it was a long time before the casket got back to Ireland, and they'd forgotten what she wanted done with it. So she was just asking to be buried? That was it. (laughs) She was. And she hasn't been around since? She hasn't. There's been quiet in the house ever since. Right. And does anybody know where the heart is buried? It's supposed to be buried somewhere in the garden, but we've been digging the garden now for for vegetarians for the past 60 years and nobody's found it yet. (laughs) All right. Now, can you tell me how the Cistercians came to be here? Well, we were founded from our mother house in Stape Hill, which was in Dorset at the time. They were founded from the continent after the French Revolution when the nuns were wandering around. A group of them came to England. So uh, here, this house had uh, was emptied uh, by the Grattan powers who owned it, the previous owners. They left in 1922 and the house was standing empty. And at that time, Mount Melry were building their church. And the prior came across here. He was told there was good stone to be brought over here. So he came across to see the stone and it wasn't satisfactory. 
and the caretaker of the house, McGren, brought him up to see the house and he thought it would make a lovely convent for nuns. So he went back and told the abbot, Dom Morris Phelan, and the abbot got in touch with the nuns in Stape Hill. There they had a lot of Irish novices and the place was simply packed out, overflowing. So they were delighted to accept this place as a foundation. So the Grattan Powers sold it to Mount Mallory as a foundation for the Cistercian nuns. That was in 1926, and they built on the church and a wing for the refectory and the dormitory, and then the nuns came in 1932. And you're here since, as they say. Since, yes, yes. And how big has the community been at its biggest, and how big is it now? It's been more or less the same size, between usually roughly around 40 nuns. We're all together. We're forty-one at the moment. There are some out in Africa. Sister, you grew up in Dublin, in the city. You now are part of the community in Glen Cairn, and you're a farmer. Yes. Now, the change was tremendous. Oh, it was extraordinary! It was a real culture shock when I entered. Uh, funny, I remember. The hardest thing at first was to get used to wearing Wellingtons. I was used to high heels and city streets, and now I had to wear Wellingtons or heavy boots and walk on grass, and the backs of my legs used to ache. It took me ages to get used to it. Then it was uh, dark here. It was much colder. It was very primitive when I entered 30 years ago. It's changed a lot. But uh, we used to go out when we were helping with the beat of that and you'd pull a beat, snap off the head, move on, pull another beat, snap off the head, move on. The same with the, any other work we were doing. It was weeding or that long drills of turnips to be weeded out. It was a different world, completely different world then. Were you afraid of cows or anything like that? Yes, I was really frightened of the cows. Yet I've been working 17 years now in the yard. I had four years with the calves and I've been with the milking now for... It's coming on for 12 years now. But it, uh, I was afraid of them. Uh, they're so big and clumsy and pushy. You know, and the only cows I ever saw in Dublin were if we ha- the bus happened to be going through the uh, marts at Hanlon's Corner. The, the cows were down below. <laughs> I was in the bus, safe. <laughs> but the cows here are lovely, actually. They get to know us and they follow us around and each one has their own little way and we get to know them. And they're gentle creatures, really. I've got used to them in the years. One thing I notice b- between your uh, habit and their habit is that you both uh, dress in the same colours. Yes, and <laughs> if you notice Mel, the dog, he's black and white as well. <laughs> Evelyn practising on a, a very new organ here in the church, I think. Yes, um, it's only about two years since we got this one, and uh, we intended really getting a, a, a rather big pipe organ. And then the cows got brucellosis, and uh, the funds went down, so we decided to buy this one, uh, which is more electronic, 
but it has built-in uh, computerised tones that are quite good, really. And we find uh, it was a good bargain. We got it much, much, much cheaper. <laughs> so farming realities can have an effect on church music. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, yes, we have to uh, cut our cloth according to measure in, in monastic life. But uh, anyway, we're, we're happy about it. And I think, uh, as I say, the cows are back in, in action or in milking again, so all's well. <laughs> Sister Mary, I've just come to a door in the farmyard now, a green door, and we're going to go through it. I notice over the door, uh, Bethlehem. Yes, we decided to call it that. We thought it might be significant because this is where the calves begin their new life. <laughs> Indeed. Well, let's go into Bethlehem. After you. Late on in the season and no calves, all whitewashed, all very clean. Yes, we do put a bit of effort in, into keeping the place clean and disinfected. And when we got all of the calves out on grass, we first of all cleaned it out and then used the pressure hose. And then we had a full day whitewashing, uh, three of us <laughs> doing it together. And then we put some creosote on the woodwork. So we're all set now to begin in January. Right, and we'll go out to the other part of the house now. And this part of the house is Nazareth. That's right. This is another name <laughs> signifying that they're now growing up and they're getting weaned off milk and onto nuts and ready for the big house outside. Well, sister, you have a vow of obedience. You have to do what you're told. But do you actually like looking after calves? Yes, I, I really enjoy it. Um, I get to know them and they get to know me and uh, we have names on all of them and... Um, I enjoy watching them grow up and um, there's something about animals too and life around the place that takes the monotony out of our own life maybe and it's a change to come out here and work with the calves and clean them out and feed them and then go back in and have more of a quiet type of life with prayer and reading. Now into the field uh, with the weanlings with Sister Anne and Sister Mary. What exactly are you going to do here now today? Well, now usually at this time I, they've already been fed. We come down and we feed them after Mass. They're getting um, three pounds of grain each now at the moment. We have um, 58 calves and they get two bales of silage as well at that time. Well, these are obviously interested in your arrival because they've all lined up along the electric fence here to see us coming. All ears cocked. You know all these by name. I mean, these are certainly glad to see you, and I think by you that you're quite glad to see them. Oh, yeah, once they're all on their feet, that's the important thing. They're looking good today now, despite the weather. They look well, certainly, Sister aren't Mary. They, aren't they looking good? Yeah, they're nice and healthy looking there. Come on there, come on, come on. There's little 131, that's a half twin. Um, 
Let me see now else we have here. Neve, 229. You've actually got uh, Christian names or names on all of these. We have indeed, yeah. Usually we call the calf after the mother and then once, well, the heifer calves, and anyway, once they calf, they get their own identity then. Well, give me a few of the names from there. Uh, we have little Etienne over there, 109, a little Belgian blue, very distinctive as you can see. A, a very suitable name. Well, it's French, I suppose, is it? <laughs> 122 over there, too, is Evita. You know, you've seen the film Evita. It's a good favourite of mine from Latin America. We have Magella there, 198. We have um, Tony as well there, little six. Um, Patricia, little 80 here as well. Uh, who else have we there now? Oh, our firstborn, 180, Sheila. That was the first one that was born last year. Um, Arashai could go on and on and on. Do you have favourites among them? Well, some of them that, that started off very small maybe or were sickly at the beginning and have done very well, you tend to kind of grow to like them, or ones that are very friendly or kind of push their way around a bit more than the others. Um, Here's one here, for instance, number 79. Now, she was very weak when, when she was born and uh, she needed a lot of attention in the beginning. So like that, as Mary says, you get close to those that you kind of drag from the jaws of death. <laughs> How have they done this year? They've done very well. So you can see there now there's none of them really weakling or as I say they're all quite hefty they're now. They're all in very good condition. Well, when will you put them in? It's very mild still but it's also it's very wet. It's mild as you say like but uh, coming up to Christmas now it'll be nice to have them in. How do you differentiate between work and prayer or do you? We do. We have a very structured day and there are times for prayer, time for liturgical worship, time for reading and time for work and that the, the definite structure gives a very good balance to the day so nobody can kind of fall into one without having the other and I think that's one of the one of the benefits of Cistercian life where the structure enables you to keep the three in balance. Well apart altogether from looking after <coughs> calves here you have the job of looking after novices. That's right we have three people as of today we have three people in the novitiate and um, it's very challenging work but I enjoy it. You have no shortage of vocations. Well, I wouldn't say that really. We have uh, we're we're the only Cistercian house for women in Ireland, and we have three people in the novitiate. So you can't say that our we're bursting at the at the seams. We would happily take more people, but um, God has been good to us, and the people that have come are uh, fine people. People who come in here are coming into a very very different environment. What are they expecting to find, and what do they find? What are they expecting to find? Well, they might not say it in these words, but I think they're expecting to grow in holiness. They want to become Christ-like people. They want an environment of prayer. And they, because it is monastic life, they would expect to grow in holiness through obedience. Obedience in the broad sense, um, obedience to Mother Dominic, what she would ask of them, and mutual obedience among ourselves. And then I think a sense of real faithfulness to the monastic day being there for liturgical prayer and being on time and being at the common meal and being on time and then faithful to their own reading and, and prayer. The environment here is one of quiet, I would think, not maybe silence, but quiet, where we can work in mindfulness of God. And I think the essence of Cistercian life is to be formed by the Word of God, to make our decisions and our judgments according to the Word of God and that has been the tradition.
that's why monastic men and women give such attention to lexio, to reading the word and to pondering it in their hearts and to allowing it to form our minds and hearts. Well, you're certainly conscious of the realities of farming life. Yes, we are. We're, we know that it depends on a healthy herd, so we watch out for anything that would da- endanger that. A few years ago, when you had the brucellosis outbreak, it really put your economic survival on the line. Yes, it did. It was a shattering experience and a very sobering experience because we had to look at how we live. We had some community meetings on whether we wanted to go on still with having a dairy herd and we felt that it suited our life that we had the set up and people enjoyed it and it kind of fitted into the rhythm of our day so we went back to it but there was a lot of apprehension and a lot of fear and people were extremely kind to us during those times because we didn't have a a regular income. Without dairying it would be hard to survive on this place I think. Yes there are 40 people living in the community more or less and we do need an income and we have that constant income from the dairy herd, and it suits us. So the 200 acres keeps 40 people? That's right, 200, 200 acres feeds 40 people, and more. Whatever we have over and above, we help out maybe in other places. We think of the third world and people in need, and um, we're never short, though. We always seem to have enough, but we do live simply, and um, we don't eat meat. We're, our diet is, diet is quite frugal. Uh, but everybody is quite healthy. Sister Charlotte now walking along in a wood with you and you're out for your after-lunch constitutional and you do this every day? Yes, I cover most of the farm every afternoon from an hour, from half one to half two. So you do actually get time off in the order? That's the one hour in the day when we are free. We can have a rest if we like or we can go out walking. It's up to ourselves as long as we keep the house quiet. (laughs) And you're the one who goes and takes the walk. Other people go for a nap, I think. Yes, that's what happens, but I'd never miss it. But one of the reasons I have to go is, you see, I have Mel, and he has to get his constitutional. And Mel is a Cistercian dog. He's also in black and white. He's also black and white, and he's our best friend. (laughs) Well, you're in a lovely place here, of course. Uh, We're walking down the side of a valley and right down to the Blackwater, which runs along the side of the farm. There can't be many nicer walks in the country. Well, there certainly aren't. It's an absolutely ideal spot, and particularly in the summertime. But even in the winter, it's very, very fine. And through the gate. Come on, Mel. Come on, through, Mel. Well, you're out for your recreational walk at the moment, but uh, like any other farmer, I notice you've uh, stopped and uh, put a count on those cattle. I always do, and in fact, even when I come for my walk, I'm always directed which way to come. Sister Kathleen likes me to look at the animals in various parts. (laughs) I'd call that a farmer's walk. Yes, I think you're right, a farmer's walk, or a farmerette's walk. (laughs) 
Well, now down by the side of the black water, looking at the water flowing quite fast, two swans over the far side, a little island in the middle. I suppose it's as near as you'll get to heaven this side of the big door. It is, but if I had a boat, I would get nearer to it. <laughs> and there's a lot of fishing along here. Would you like to do a bit of fishing yourself? I'd be very interested in fishing, but at the moment I haven't a fishing rod. But if I could get one, I'd certainly have a go. Time would be limited, but I'd hope for good luck in the short time I'd have. You'd be interested in catching a salmon? I'd love to, but I'd be happy if I caught anything. Tell me about a Cistercian Christmas dinner. Oh, a Cistercian Christmas dinner is usually a nice salmon, but it's not out of the black water yet. One day I hope I might provide a salmon for Christmas dinner. <laughs> After the salmon, we have the normal run of plum pudding, mince pies and of course brandy butter you couldn't have it we have all the milk in the world so I don't see why we shouldn't support home industry <laughs> in Cistercian terms an absolute riot of food yes absolutely and we really enjoy every minute of it <laughs> I love brandy butter <laughs> When you come down by the river, do you stop much or do you just walk along briskly? Well, it depends on the weather. If it's a cold day, I keep walking briskly. But even on a cold day, I discover that I'm warm enough to sit down by the river and then I can watch the salmon and I can watch all kinds of birds and I think it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, we were looking there at a pair of swans and they were together. Now the cob has allowed himself to be taken by the current away down the river and he'll make his way back up again, obviously. Oh, yes, he comes up quite easily and I'm often fascinated as I watch him come through the strongest current and he doesn't seem to have any difficulty swimming. Well, now you're in your favourite place by the river and you often sit by the river having a look. What do you see? I see all sorts of lovely things. What I like best of all, I think, is the kingfisher. He's so beautiful as he skims across the surface of the water. And I often see the water hens as well. And I've seen the whole flock out feeding on the side of the bank. But then if I make a sound, they dash back into the water again. One day I had a beautiful sight. I just came along to this little pool. And what did I find but dozens of duck, baby duck, and the mothers were all with them and the babies were just learning to swim in a little quiet corner of the bank of the river here. And you've seen other animals as well? Yes, I've seen an otter as well. He came very quietly past. He didn't bother me at all. He just walked up the far bank and didn't seem to be at all disturbed by the sight of anybody. Lovely flight of duck just gone over there. Yes, we get many flights of duck and also flights of swan. And last week I saw a whole flock of geese and I presume these are the geese that have come from the cold north to settle here during the winter. And then by next March they'll gather here again and graze around in the field and then fly back again to the north. There's something about working with animals and 
uh, treating them kindly and um, earning our living and uh, working on the environment, keeping it a healthy environment, all of that somehow is incorporated into our prayer um, and it brings God into the reality of our, our lives here.